0: I am Melissa <laughs> and I am, <laughs> yes, that's my title. I am Jesus's favorite. There we go. <laughs> um, so this morning I have the pleasure of talking to you about why local missions. And so I'm making note of the time. It's 1116. righty. So because this is Pastor Josh's fault. He told me about this at the beginning of January. So I've been sitting on this message for two months. That's a long time for to be sitting on a message. So I have a lot to say this morning. So it's 11-16. There's no Super Bowl or anything tonight, right? So Cliff, can you lock those doors back there so we can make sure we can get through all of this? I only have 32 pages of notes, but um, we can get through this. <laughs> There is a QR code. So if you're sitting in the back or if you're in home group and you guys, your home group discusses the message, uh, there's a QR code that you can pull it up to follow along with the notes and you can use the notes for your. (laughs) It's who I am. (laughs) It's who I am. So I'm so excited to talk to you today about why local missions, why Local missions, and so um, my friend Tracy, who is here today, um, when uh, Pastor Josh first sent this to me, she and I was sitting there, and we were having lunch together, and I, I was telling her what I was going to talk about, and I was like, "Why, why local mission?" And she said, and these are her words: "I'm not, these are her words. Well, the Baptist answer is because God said so." And that is true. That is the answer. God said so. So why? Why local missions? Why do we do this? That's what we're going to talk about today. This is, this is my passion, right? This, I am passionate about that. So you got, I'm passionate about it. I've had two months to think about it. <laughs> I hope you had a hearty breakfast. All right. I was on a call a few weeks ago with um, some black pastors And one of the things she talked about that really just touched my heart, she said, there is one command and one commission. One command, one commission. God has given us only, Jesus rather, gave us only one command. And what was that command? Love your, love your, um, one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And then he gave us one commission to fill that, fulfill that command that he gave us. The commission was to fill the command. And what is the commission? Go and make disciples of all nations. So I was wondering, that's very clear, right? Very clear. Go make disciples of all nations. So then why aren't we, and when again, when I say a ch- the church, I don't mean... Vineyard Church. I mean the big church. Let me ask you this question. How would you rate the big church on this command? How would you rate? A, B, C, D, E, F? How would you rate it? That's not rhetorical. I want an answer. You give it a C? A C? C A what? A D? I heard somebody say D. You guys are harsh. How would you rate the church? Really, I want an answer, (laughs) how do you rate the church? (laughs) C, is everybody saying about a C? Okay, why aren't we an A? (laughs) We make better converts than disciples, okay. How would you rate us on going into nations? How would you rate that? So I started asking myself, why aren't we better? Why aren't we better? And my only base of knowledge for this is I'm a school teacher. I teach math. And so I ask myself, why don't my students do better? Why aren't all my students A students? And I, I came up with some reasons why I think my students are not A students. And I'm going to talk about why I think we're not A students when it comes to going into all nations. Okay. So, I'm going to start off, I know the first question is supposed to be why, but I'm going to start with, because, you know, I'm rebellious, I'm going to start with why not? Why aren't we doing what God has so clearly told us to do? Why aren't we doing it? And the first reason that I came up with is sometimes we just misunderstand the assi- assignment. We just don't understand it. Now, don't get offended, right? Because Abraham, the father of our faith, he kind of didn't understand his assignment. That's why we have baby mama drama. Because of Abraham, he introduced baby mama drama into the world. Because he did not understand the assignment. So it's okay that we don't understand the assignment. You know, um, I tell my kids all the time, two plus two is four. Two plus two is four. I tell them that. But they sometimes don't understand it. What is our assignment? I feel like I'm missing a page here. Okay, where are we? The assignment. That was, that was that the next one? Okay, the assignment. Go ye therefore into all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. That is our assignment. I went back to King James Version for this because I think sometimes it's King Jimmy that uh, that confuses us. I learned King James Version. That's how old I am. I'm dating myself. That was the only Bible we had was King James Version. And this was the verse. (laughs) This was the verse. And Jeremy used this verse as well. But I think it is this where we come misunderstand. These two words I've highlighted. Ye and nations. Ye and nations. This is the poster child. This verse is the poster child for missions trip. But I have a question for you today. Go to the next one. Who is ye and where is ye going? Okay. Who is ye and where is ye going? So who is ye? Let's start there. Who is ye? Are we? Are we? <laughs> Do we act like that? When the original was written, who was it written to? When Jesus spoke this, who was he talking to? The 11 disciples. He was talking to the 11 disciples. So is that ye just the 11? Is that just them? And most of us would say no to that. Uh, In this call that I was on a couple of weeks ago, they talked about the Reformation. I think you mentioned this a little bit last time, Pastor Josh, as well. During the Reformation, that is when we began to learn about theology, right? That's when we started doing Bible schools. Before that, people just heard the word and they went out and did what God called them to do. But once that Reformation came and we started learning about it and studying theology, we started to think the ye were educated. The ye were the people who went to Bible school. The ye were the people who were trained. That's the ye. And we sort of haven't gotten over that yet. Now the ye is the five-fold ministry. The apostles, the evangelists, the teachers, the pastors. I miss one of them. (laughs) The prophets. Thank you. That we now think that's the ye. That, who God, that is who God has called to go out and do. But as Tabby said, we are the ye. If Jesus was Southern, he would have said, all y'all. <laughs> all y'all go into the nations, all of you. We are all the we. I like the way Mercy Me puts it. Mercy Me is a, a musical group and they say, it is those he calls his own. Those he has set apart as spotless, without blame, his chosen ones, his bride. That's me. That's you. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, You are ye. (laughs) I want you to turn to your other neighbor and say, I am ye. ye. (laughs) All y'all are ye. Yes, use guys. If you're from New York, use guys are New York. I remember the first time I said all y'all in front of Josh, his like Pennsylvania mind just exploded. Like who is all y'all? What is that? That's a new term. Yes. <laughs> yens. <laughs> <laughs> However you identify, you are y'all. You are ye. However, you, if it's y'all, you use guys, yens. I don't care how you say it, you are ye. So now that we've established that we are ye, where are we going? And so the next part of that, I think, kind of gets to us. That word nations, that word nations kind of confuses us. Because when I think of nations, I think I'm going to Israel, or I'm going to Iraq, or I'm going to Mexico, or I'm going to Canada. When we think about nations, that's what we think about. But this word, nations, actually is ethnos. It's the same word we use to get, ethnicity. Ethnos is simply a group, a body of persons united by kinship, culture, and common traditions. A lot of times when that word was translated in the Bible, it was translated simply as Gentiles. That is nations. So, I was thinking about that living I live in a neighborhood with an HOA. That's a nation. And, and they, are, they are worse than the Nazi regiment, I'm telling you. That's a nation. We have our set of rules, we have the way we do things. That's a nation. So when God tells us to go into the nations, we think, oh, I got to get a passport. I got to cross a river. I got to get on a plane. But the nation God may be calling you to is right up the road. The apartment buildings where we go and we minister, those are nations, biblically. Those are, that's a biblical nation, and God has called you to go to nations. So that, we think about going to the nations, we think about the braids, right? We think about our Russian um, component, we think about that. But when God says go to the nations, I want you to think about going to the neighborhood down the street. I want you to think when God says go to the nations, I want you to clarify that assignment for you. And I want you to know go to the nations may be going to the person next door. When God says go to the nations, I want to clarify it. And I want you to think about going to work every day. That's a nation. The school system is a nation. And we get to go every single day. And who's going? Ye is going. And who is ye? Me. And you. So let's clarify that a little bit. And let's say that we are all going to the nations. John Wimber says we all get to play, right? But John probably didn't teach teenagers. So I'm going to change that a little bit. And I'm going to say, we don't get to play. I'm going to tell you, you have to play. Because if I tell that to a teenager, they're like, well, that's optional. It's not optional. You got to play. It is mandatory that we're all in this. Why? Because we are all what? Ye. And we are all going to a nation every single day. You are going to some type of nation every single day. So in that nation, where are you invited to go? I am saying to you today that we take the gospel everywhere we go. It's not optional. We all get to go. And so we're going to talk a little bit more about going into some of the places Um around here. We're gonna talk a little bit about that later. So again, why not? Why aren't we going? One reason we're going is that we misunderstood the assignment. So now we all understand the assignment, right? We've all heard this. We all understand the assignment. What is the assignment? I am supposed to go to the nations, and the nations are neighborhoods and, and uh, schools and businesses where I go every day. I need you to say amen. <laughs> I need to know you're with me here because we're all going to the nations. Okay. Now, second reason, sometimes my kids don't understand, don't do well on the test, is because they, the, the test does not look like the lesson. Sometimes the test just doesn't look like the lesson. So I tell my kids, I teach my kids this, I'm a math teacher, two plus two is four, right? Two plus two is four. I teach that to them. Okay, two plus two is four, what is two plus one plus one? That's not a trick question, come on now. Two plus one plus one, what is that? Four. What is four plus zero? You got it. Two plus two is what? This is what I teach my kids. So you tell me when they get the test, and the test looks like this, why am I all of a sudden the bad guy? That is obviously 2 plus 0 plus 2 is 4, right? Bond, right? (laughs) That is obvious. So why, when I give them the test and it looks like this, all of a sudden, I'm the reason little Johnny can't get into Duke? (laughs) The test does not always look like the lesson. You remember the story. I think Josh kind of mentioned part a different story, maybe a different story. When they were all in the desert, and there were like 5,000 just men. We don't know how many women and children there were. So there were about 10,000 people. You can go to the next slide. And they, they had just come there, and everybody was hungry. And they were like, the disciples were like, send them away. And Jesus said to them, no, you give them something to eat. And I imagine, because I'm a storyteller, I imagine that conversation going something like this. Jesus, you feed them. And the disciples are like... Jesus, you know how you like to tell that story about, you know, that time your parents left you at the synagogue? You know how you like to tell that story? Was that the day they taught in math? (laughs) That if you take a really small number, like five fish, and divide it by a really big number, like 10,000, the result is zero? Did you miss that day of school, Jesus? And I imagine Jesus saying to them, I may have, but you know what? I wrote the curriculum, so it doesn't matter. (laughs) But let me ask you this. Did you miss the day in, in children's synagogue when they taught about Elijah? And how Elijah was in the middle of a drought and how God sustained him with a raven. And then God sent him to this widow and the widow and Elijah and the widow's children, you can go to the next slide, they all, <laughs> they all were fed throughout the drought. Did you miss that story? Because this test may not look like that story, but it is the same principle. And what is that principle? That we, go to the next slide, this is the formula I came up with, that our limited resources plus God's infinite resources equals Uber Eats. Everybody gets a chance to eat when Jesus is in the picture. So we all know, we all know, if we're ever in a desert, I know this church has talked about going camping. I will not be attending that. But if you do and you're out there and for some reason you run out of food, you all know what to do, right? What do you do? You find a child with their lunch, you pray over it, and it looks bad. Because that is the the lesson that we've learned. That is the story that we've heard. But sometimes the, the lesson, the test, looks nothing like the lesson. So when God called me and he said, go feed an apartment building, go feed people who are Food insecure and give them give them Thanksgiving, give them turkeys and, and a full meal I looked at God and went I'm not ye you must be talking to somebody else because I'm not ye and God said yes you are the test looked different than the lesson but the formula is the same so maybe God, not maybe, God is, let me put it that way God is calling you to help us feed apartment buildings where there are food insecure. He is calling all y'all to go with us into apartment buildings and to to be a blessing, be his hands and feet, and to multiply what he has given you. He is calling all of us to take our limited resources and add it to his entire infinite resources and be a blessing to the people around us. You are ye. You are ye. You too loose. You're Lee as well. One more reason why not. Why my kids don't do well. Sometimes it's a lack of confidence. I have a little girl right now. She's just as sweet as she could be. And I give her a math problem. And this is her response to me. (laughs) I can't. That's literally her response. She doesn't believe she can do it. She looks at me like I have five heads and says to me, I can't do this. And I sit down with her and I walk through it and I try to help her do it. And sometimes that's our problem. Is that we feel like we don't have the confidence to do it. So I just want to give you the roll call of who Jesus chose. I want you to see, because Jesus chose some just knuckleheads. He really did. And if those knuckleheads can do it, I believe you can do it. So let's talk about some of the people who God chose. The first one was the woman, the Samaritan woman. She had a whole lot going on what was wrong with her. She was living with a man she was not married to. She was a woman. She was Samaritan, and she was unsynagogued. But yet, when God spoke to her, when she had an encounter with God, what did she do? She went out and she brought her whole town back to Jesus. She was the very first evangelist. If we look at some of the disciples, Thomas doubted. He had a lack of faith. But did you also know Thomas was the first to evangelize India? John, he should have been arrested for indecent exposure because when Jesus was arrested, he ran away naked. He ran away when Jesus was, um, and you know his story, he ended up writing a gospel. Matthew, Matthew extorted his own people and he invited Jesus to some really questionable parties. Peter, Peter three times denied Christ. He was impetuous. He cut off a man's ear. Has anybody in the room cut off a man's ear? Not yet? You're qualified. And James and John, they were the biggest knuckleheads of all, okay? James and John, they were a mama's boy. They were the two whose mama came and said, can my children be at your right hand? But not only that, these two just totally knucklehead kids wanted to exterminate a whole generation of people. Why? They hurt my feelings, bro. <laughs> and their solution to that was to delete, to, to get rid of everybody in the city. If God can use these people, surely he can use you. If God can use these men who were flawed, who were racist and sexist, If God can use them, certainly, certainly he can use you. The Bible says this, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, this is in Acts, and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. These were common, ordinary men, and the only distinguishing part about them was they had been with Jesus. You need to get with Jesus because that's the only thing that separates you from being a disciple, from being one of the 12. You can get with Jesus every single morning. I like the King James Version is very blunt. King James Version says they were unlearned and ignorant. That's the way they describe the disciples, unlearned and ignorant. Nobody's saying that about you. In other words, they had not attended any seminary school. They had no title whatsoever. All they had was a love for God. They were ordinary, like you and me. If they can do it, you can do it, because the Bible says this. It is not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from God. He has enabled us, you and me, ye, he has enabled ye, to be ministers of his new covenant. You've been enabled, not because of anything that you've done, not because your past is perfect, you've been enabled by the blood of Jesus. We are all ministers. I think we should start, I think this would make Leah and Josh really happy. You want to make them happy and start calling each other Minister so and so. That would make them so happy. <laughs> They don't like titles, so I'm giving them a hard time. (laughs) So we should just go up to each other, and I go, Minister Bond, how are you doing today? (laughs) So he understands it, but seriously, think of yourself as a minister. All of us in this room are ministers. Hey, this is a side note. I just saw this, though. That word minister is the same word we use for deacon. And it's one who cares for the poor. I just realized that. That is so exciting to me. You have all been made ministers to care for the poor. That's your job description now. You are a minister. And seriously, we should really start calling each other ministers to put it into our heart and our spirit that that's who we are. Titles are important in that it speaks to the heart of who you are. And we need to know who we are. We are ministers of the gospel to the poor. That's who you're called to be. Um, I'm going to use Ethan's analogy because, you know, (laughs) Ethan's my boy. (laughs) I'm going to use Ethan's analogy, and Ethan's analogy is a beautiful analogy. And that champagne being poured... Let me tell you what that champagne being poured is. That is the preaching we get every Sunday. That is the worship that we do. That, that champagne is the home groups. When we go to home groups and we are fed, that champagne is part of the home groups. That champagne is knowing the teaching that we get on the kingdom of God and, and bringing the kingdom of God here. All of that is part of that champagne that we get. It is ministering to our youth. All the wives that we've talked about so far go in to make up this beautiful, sweet champagne that's being poured upon us. And we're spoiled because we have this wonderful champagne being poured upon us and lavished upon us. But I'm just going to say, this picture in and of itself is incomplete because we can't just stay there. We can't just receive all of this wonderful blessing and not take it to the streets. We can't stay here. So yes, we get to, to be filled with the love of God, but it's incomplete. But as local missions, we get to take that champagne and serve it to the poor. We get to take that champagne to the street and bring it to people. We take the love of God. We take all the stuff that we've learned in this house and we take it to the street because that is what God has called us to do. He didn't call us to just receive that, that, that champagne and let it just fall upon the floor. He called us to receive that champagne so that we can then take it to the streets, take it to the poor. We get to serve this delicious champagne to the nations around us. We get to demonstrate the love of God. We get to allow people to taste and see that God is good. We all must go to the nations, local and global and serve the sweet champagne. You know, I don't think it was an accident that Jesus' first miracle was what? What was his first miracle? Turning water into wine. What does that wine represent? It represents joy, celebration, and abundance. And we get to serve that wine because we are equipped as ministers of the gospel to serve the poor. That's what we get to do. That's what we must do. That's what we have been commissioned to do. I've talked about why we don't do it. So the first reason we don't do it, we don't understand the assignment sometimes. Now that has been cleared up. We all understand our assignment, right? Yes? Yes? Okay. We sometimes don't go because we don't recognize the test. It's the same as the lesson. But we're going to use that same formula for all the tests. Our infinite resources plus God's, our finite resources (laughs) plus God's infinite resources equals Uber Eats, everybody eats. We are now confident. We're not confident in ourselves, we're confident in what? In that we have been enabled by the blood of Jesus to be a minister to the poor. Right? So we've cleared all that up. You no longer have no excuses not to go. We're all going. Right? (laughs) My husband's, one of my husband's favorite movies is uh, uh, Robocop. (laughs) And there's this uh, phrase in there dead or alive, you're coming with me. So that's what I'm telling the church (laughs) dead or alive, you're coming with me. (laughs) Why go? So, why should we go? Why am I motivated to go that's that's the question i'm going to tell i'm going to share you my heart. Why do I go? There is an intrinsic value in preaching the gospel in taking the gospel to the poor. There is an intrinsic value uh, my kids, my students sometimes they want to know. Why do they have to learn math? They think they're never gonna use math again. And to be honest, most of them never will take it integral the rest of their life, right? So why do I make them learn it? Why do I force them to learn? Because math is like, do I have any people who, like gym people, like people who work out in here? Okay, good, you'll understand this analogy. Math is like leg day for your brain, right? It's hard but it's building your muscles. But instead of building your, your quads, it's building your brain muscles. That's what math does. Math is beautiful. It teaches us how to think. It teaches us how to problem solve. It te- teaches us to synthesize information. Math is beautiful. I love math. <laughs> I'm a geek. But just like math is leg day for our brains Taking the gospel, local missions and global missions is like leg day for our spirits and our souls. It is in praying, so when we go into, um, when we go, when we do local missions, we, um, we get to build our faith muscles, our spiritual faith muscles. We get to preach the gospel to the poor. We get to heal the sick, set the oppressed free. We de- get to declare the Lord's favor. And some of you are saying, well, we do that every Sunday here, Melissa. I don't have to go there. But let me just tell you this. There is, you pray differently when Jesus is your only answer. You pray differently. This picture that you see, I, I, I hesitated um, to bring this picture up. And I'm just going to tell you what's going on here. I was in Mexico. And we were, we were doing missions in Mexico, and this woman came up, and she had been in pain, stomach pain, for days, for months, I think. And nobody could help her with her pain. And we prayed for her. And for the first time in months, she wasn't experiencing pain. And she grabbed me, and what you see is her crying, into my shoulders because she was so relieved that the pain was gone. When Jesus is your only option, you pray differently. I have seen on the missions field, I have seen eyes restored. I have seen people healed of chronic pain. We were on the bus to, to Mexico and my friend had this knot in her arm. And on the bus, we, you know, we were on the bus to where we were going. She was healed on the bus. I don't know what it is about going into foreign places or going into nations that God seems to... We seem to see more miracles there than we do here. I don't know why that is. And you will never know either unless you go. Go into neighborhoods and watch God do some miraculous things. And it'll build your faith muscles. I can't deny that he is real because I've seen him heal blind eyes. I can't deny he's real because I've seen him heal tummies. If you want to build your faith muscles, let's go. Let's go. When I get to heaven, what I want to hear God say is, woman, great is your faith. That's what I want to hear because I've built my spiritual muscles on the field, on the playing field. It also builds our soul muscles. Yeah, I was reading that story about Jesus, oh goodness. I was reading the story about, we're almost there, about the the disciples. And when Jesus told them to feed the the, the 5,000, Right before that, let me just give you some background to that. John the Baptist had died, and Jesus and the disciples had went on a little getaway. It was supposed to be just Jesus and the disciples, right? They were going to spend some time with Jesus, yay, have a good time. But the crowds followed them, and Jesus, being Jesus, did what he did. He started ministering to the crowds, and the disciples were a little annoyed. So that's why the disciples went to Jesus, and they were like, "Listen, it's getting late." Send these people home so we could just have some quiet time together. And Jesus said to them, you feed them. You feed them. Why did Jesus tell them that? Jesus knew he was going to do all the heavy lifting. The disciples didn't have to do anything. Jesus took the bread. Jesus broke the bread and the bread multiplied. He did all the heavy lifting. But why did he tell the disciples, you feed them? Because sometimes it is in going, it is in hearing people's stories that we develop compassion, that we develop empathy, that we develop a love for people. You can't be judgmental when you hear some people's stories. It is so easy for us in our middle class um, areas, our middle class lifestyle, to look at people and say, why can't you get your life together? That is the easiest thing that I can do. Why can't you pull yourself up by your bootstraps? Well, as, uh, as uh, Thurgood Marshall said, it's hard to pull yourself up by your bootstraps when you're not wearing boots. We don't know their stories. We don't know their generational things that have happened to people that have put them in the place where they are. I met a young girl when I was uh, preaching at my friend's church, a young girl, beautiful young girl. She grew up in a trap house. Do you know what a trap house is? It's a house where you do and sell drugs. This is where she grew up. Her mom was addicted to drugs. These stories you will not hear sitting in our middle-class church (laughs) with our middle-class friends. We won't hear these stories. We've gotta go, that's why Jesus said to them, you feed them. And he's saying to us in this church today, you feed them. You go into their neighborhoods. You speak with them. You hear their stories. You hear their struggles. Not that their struggles that um, justifies what they do, but he wants you to know why people are hurting. Why they are where they are. He wants you to be able to see people as he created them to be. And pray for them, not as they is, but who God who they are, as God, as God called them to be. And we can't do that unless we hear their stories. And we can't hear their stories if we don't go to them. They're not coming here. We've got to go to them. Let's hear their stories. Let's learn to sympathize with them. Let's learn to empathize. Let's go out. Let's build our muscles. Let's build our soul muscles, our, our ability to forgive, and to love, to have compassion. Because you know what Jesus wants more than anything else? He wants us to look like him. So he told his disciples, you feed them. Because you're moaning and you're groaning and complaining. Let me, let me introduce you to some people who have some real complaints. You feed them. Who is you? All y'all. Let's go feed them. Let's go hear their stories. March 23rd. That's when we're going. All of us are going, right? I can't tell you how many faux pas I've made as a middle-class teacher. I can't tell you how many faux pas I've made. I can't tell you about... I can tell you about the little girl who was struggling in my class, and I thought I was doing a big thing. I was going to stay after school and give her personal tutoring look at me. I didn't realize she couldn't stay after school because she had to get off the bus to get her kids, her brothers and sisters, off the bus. Or the young man who was coming to my class late or missing days, and I asked him why, and he said I had to work, and I, in my middle class background, informed him that the most important thing for him to do was to get through high school, and then I learned he was the only person in his household working. The stories are different. And we need to, we cannot hear those stories staying here. We got to go. We got to go to them. We got to hear their stories. We have to hear their struggles. I'm sorry. I'm a little passionate. Last thing. And I'm going to end with this, so I'm almost done. What time did I start? 1115? 1116. Thank you, I got an extra minute. We're gonna love people to God. I'm gonna end you with this story. I have a friend. Her name is Mel. That's not her real name, but we're gonna call her Mel. Cause some of you met my friend. And by the way, she's given me permission to share this story. She gave me permission. And Mel grew up in poverty. Her father left her mom when she was just young. And so they lived in, when I say poverty, they, she could have lived in some of the neighborhoods where we go to every day. And not only were they poor, but her mom, in Mel's words, picker was broken. You know what your picker is? Your picker is that part of your brain that picks a spouse, or pick a partner. Her mom's picker was broken. So not only were they in poverty, there was just a lot of chaos in the household growing up. Men who shouldn't have been there, doing things they shouldn't have done. But when Mel was about four years or five years old, there was a church, and their local ministry, their local mission, was to send out the church bus. It's probably a Baptist church. And they would. That was, that was their local mission. That's what they did. They sent out that church bus. And although Mel grew up, and she grew up in the South, where most people in the South identify as Christian, right? Like my brother say, I was born Christian. I don't think that's how they work. So this bus would come. And her parents, would, her mom would let her get on this bus. Her and her brothers would get on this bus. And they would go to church every week. And it was a good thing for them because part of, their, part of the church's mission, they would feed them lunch. And so for Mel, she, got, she felt safe. She was fed. This was a good thing for Mel. And, you know, sometimes in poverty you move around. They would move around from neighborhood to neighborhood. But that church bus always found them until Mel was about eight years old. And then her family moved out of reach of that church bus. So from the age of eight to about 18, Mel didn't go to church anymore because there was nobody to take her to church. So she didn't go to church. And Mel, like most young girls whose mom's picker is broken, Mel's picker was broken. And she started dating this guy who was abusive to her um, verbally and physically. And when she was 18 years old, I just remember there are teenagers in the room. So I hope the story is appropriate, but it gets better, okay. When she was about 18 years old, she found herself pregnant. And she went to this abusive boyfriend and he was like, no, you need to have an abortion. We're not doing this. And she went to his mom, and his mom said the same thing to her. And she went to her own mom, and her own mom said, no, we can't do this. You can't afford to have this baby, have an abortion. And so Mel wanted to keep her baby, but she didn't feel like she could, because she was all alone. And she didn't want to raise a baby in poverty. She had lived in poverty. She didn't want that generational habit to continue. So she gave in to the cries of everyone around her. And she made that appointment to go to that clinic. But as her boyfriend was driving her to the clinic, for some reason, Mel remembered. That's some reason it's called the Holy Spirit, by the way. Mel remembered that little girl going to church. And she remembered, at the age of six, how she gave her heart to the Lord. So as she sat, as she lay on that table, on that sterile cold table with her bottom exposed, waiting for the doctor to come in and take the life that was growing inside of her, Mel remembered giving her life to the Lord at six years old. There was a seed of righteousness that had been planted by a church when she was six years old. And so Mel prayed a prayer that most of us in the charismatic circle would have said it was, it was um, an unproductive, or it wasn't full of faith prayer. Because she, the prayer she prayed, Lord, if you are real, if the God that I met when I was six years old, if you are real, Stop this from happening. Remember, she's on the table. And the doctor came in the room and he had some small talk with her. And finally, the doctor looked at her and he said to her, I can't do this today. Come back tomorrow. And the nurse came in and helped Mel get dressed and and told Mel as she was walking out the room, remember to schedule your appointment for tomorrow. And Mel knew she was not going to schedule that appointment. Mel walked out that room. And she gave birth to a beautiful baby girl because there was a seed of righteousness that was planted in her six years ago, 18 years ago, by this church church whose mission, whose outreach, was to send a church bus and feed kids. Because of that outreach, there's a beautiful young woman who just became a nurse today. Who And you know what she does on Sunday mornings? That beautiful young woman goes into the worst neighborhoods of Greensboro, North Carolina, on a church bus and pick up kids and bring them back to church. Don't you tell me my God is not good. Don't you tell me that what we do is not important. We are sowing seeds of righteousness in kids. And the word says this, his word will not return void. So when we're out there and we're teaching Sunday school or we're praying for women or we are, or just loving on children, it's making a difference. I wish, my team will tell you, I want to see that difference right here, right now. But those people at that church, they didn't know what would happen 10 years ago, 10 years later, when Mel was on that table. They have no idea what, what that, that, that Sunday school teacher, who may not have felt like getting up that morning and going to teach Sunday school, she had no idea the, the seed she was sowing in Mel. That deacon who may have stood up and fought for us to do the church ministry, he had no idea about what would happen in mail. And we have no idea what we're doing when we go out there and the seeds that we are planting. We are planting seeds of righteousness. So you want to know my why? My why is I want to see a generation changed. I want to see generational poverty ended. I want to see women... they are in Christ so they can kick out these no good men living with them. I want to see women set free and and men set free of of poverty and addictions. I want to see the oppressed set free. That is what I want to see. That is my why. Mel is my why. I want to see more stories like Mel. Will you go with me? Our next event is March 23rd. It is fill the gap. We're going into homes where they have small children. And what we want to do is we want to just give them lunch to provide meals for their kids while, while the kids are out from school. Because when you are food insecure, that free and reduced lunch is very important. It's very necessary. And for a whole week, they won't have that free and reduced lunch. So we're going in. And there will be opportunities to pray for people. There will be opportunities to love on people. There's a a sign outside. There's a display outside if you want to see it and you can sign up. Will you go with us? Will you reach people like Mel? Will you pray for children? And tell them who they are in God and love on them. Can you, can, you, can you do that with me? I don't want to manipulate you. I don't. But I do want you to know. I do want you to know who you are in Christ. And I want you to take that to the streets.